This is an ABC podcast. Hey, Tim Roxbury here with Background Briefing. And this week, a story about the aftermath. It's about what happens when COVID chaos rips through the aged care system, pushing staff to the absolute limit. And it's about what happens next when the chaos subsides and you get a chance to look at what happened and what's left behind. In this episode, we take you inside aged care homes as the East Coast Omicron wave peaked and then subsided. How is ya? Not bad, how's you not been? It's about 9.30pm and aged care worker Diane is arriving at work for her night shift. The first thing she hears is that incontinence pads haven't been ordered and one of the residents has had to go without. Really? Okay. What's new, eh? It's always something. Now I've got to go outside and meet the agency person who's coming into work with me um, and leave 40 people basically unsupervised for the moment. So hopefully no call bells will go off and no one will have a fall. COVID-19 has wreaked havoc on her workplace. Di has watched residents fall over while she's busy putting on personal protective equipment because she's not allowed into their rooms without it. And it's happened to me on a few occasions at work of a preventable fall. They literally fell in front of me because I couldn't get my PPE on fast enough. The fact that Australia's aged care system is in crisis is hardly news to carers like Diane. It was already stretched before the pandemic, she believes, and now it's breaking. Tonight in her section, she's the only permanent staff member rostered on. So I get to work tonight and um, there's no other staff to work other than one permanent staff. So 40 people are now my charges for the, for the night. And I've got to hope that at least the agency person has some experience and has been here before, because if not, I have to train them tonight on my own. After eight years working in the same Melbourne aged care home, Dyer feels exhausted and desperate most nights now. So here I am on my own, 40 residents in four different sections, and there's another section of high care which is 30 residents in there, totally separated from where I am. I'm on my own. I feel sick. I feel sick to my stomach because if anybody has a fall, I can't get to them all at once. It's just... People just don't understand how hard this job is. There is so much more involved than just sharing and feeding a person in aged care. I feel sick, I wish I could just go home. Welcome to the uncertain reality of aged care work during COVID's Omicron wave. Almost 80% of Australia's privately run aged care homes have now had COVID outbreaks since the pandemic began. Issues with COVID are just made the staffing levels work worse at work. There's no way that these problems weren't here way before COVID. COVID's just exacerbated it, I reckon. All the staff have always worked under the pump, working overtime and not getting paid for it. I'm just so over it, you know? I've just had enough. Diane's just one of many people working in aged care that our reporter Jeff Thompson spoke to for this story. Jeff, despite what happened in previous waves of the pandemic, it seems like somehow aged care homes just weren't entirely prepared for Omicron. Yeah. Hi, Tim. 
The Omicron wave has caused many more deaths more quickly. Almost half of all the people who've died with COVID in aged care in Australia since the beginning of the pandemic died in the first three months of this year. But this time we had vaccines and, and we had plenty of time to prepare. So what went wrong? Well, obviously, there's just so many more cases in the community now, but also not all aged care residents had had their third booster shots before the economy opened up, especially in in New South Wales, which did that early. And even if aged care residents had got their third booster shot, that didn't necessarily mean they were protected from the impact of COVID, because it turns out that the chaos COVID caused could be a killer on its own. Okay, so to explain what you mean by that chaos... You're going to take us behind the scenes of some aged care homes to step us through exactly what happened through this period. Where are we going to first? Well, the first stop is a home an hour and a half's drive south of Sydney. You going on the bus, Jeff? No. You're not going I'm on not today. I'm not going to see you. Okay. Well, you can take that, no. you know. Hello. Oh. Oh. Bad back. Today, things seem almost normal at Warrigal Aged Care in Albion Park. Mark Sewell is dropping by to talk to staff. He's the CEO of a network of 11 aged care homes, mostly in the Illawarra and the ACT. There's little sign of it now, but just weeks ago, Mark and his aged care homes were in crisis. All right. They go buy Hungry Jacks and get an ice cream? Yeah. Oh, are they? Yeah. I can come and chase you for your clothes. Can I take your spot? (laughs) Back at the start of the pandemic, it seemed to Mark that his aged care homes might avoid the fate of so many others in Australia. While homes in Victoria and New South Wales recorded huge death tolls, at Mark's homes, things were actually going really well. We were very pleased with ourselves for creating this place and all these places that were COVID safe for older people all the way through the pandemic, the first two years up to December 2021. In March last year, Federal Health Minister Greg Hunt spoke with a similar confidence. In protecting our Australians, it's important to note that today there have been zero cases of community transmission for COVID around the country. Side by side with the Prime Minister, he released the final report of the Royal Commission into Aged Care. And he was spruiking the federal government's health response and its vaccine rollout. That's 31 days this year and no lives lost in 2021, an almost unthinkable collective national achievement. And in terms of the rollout, we've now passed 10,070 seniors as of last night who were vaccinated in residential aged care facilities. At that stage, he was right. Things were going well. But a few months later, in the middle of the year when the more deadly and more contagious Delta variant began spreading in Australia, not even 40% of people in their 80s and 90s had been double-vaxxed. The upbeat press conferences stopped. Scott Morrison was now apologising for what critics labelled the vaccine stroll-out. I'm certainly sorry that we haven't been able to achieve the marks that we had hoped for at the beginning of this year. Of course I am. Uh, But what's more important is that we're totally focused on ensuring that we've been turning this around. Scores of aged care residents in Victoria and New South Wales lost their lives in that wave of COVID-19 infections. Through it all, Mark Sewell's Warrigal network of aged care homes somehow kept COVID at bay. We had a network of more than 1,100 older, vulnerable people living inside aged care we could see what was happening to aged care hospitals and cruise ships. 
and we took every precaution we could to keep everyone safe. For two years, it worked. And that was exhausting. In fact, we often coined the term waiting for a bomb to explode because it felt like we were tiptoeing through our service system every day. But then in November last year, after nearly two years of dodging COVID outbreaks that seemed to be spreading all around them, that bomb Mark was talking about, it finally went off when Omicron arrived in Australia. And then we could see the government make some changes. Transmission rates were up. Hospitalisations were starting to climb. The first few deaths were being reported. And we thought, this is going to be tricky to navigate, but we're very good, very strong. We have amazing resources and it won't happen to us. Unfortunately, it did. And on the 29th of December, we got our first case in one of our homes. There were outbreaks in 10 of Mark's aged care homes and residents would soon be dying. But COVID itself wasn't the only killer. The accompanying chaos would become a serious threat as well. Hi, how are you? Good. So now I'm going over to our uh, rapid antigen testing station for staff. As uh, when I, when everyone comes on their shift, everyone has to have a rat test. I've been speaking to people in aged care homes in different locations across New South Wales and Victoria about how they prepared for the Omicron outbreak and how it unfolded. Viv Allenson is the CEO of Maroba, an aged care home in Newcastle. In the months leading up to December last year, she was doing everything she could to get her place ready. But there were obstacles. When the government announced the third dose was going to be um, an option and available, they announced that they would try and get to facilities promptly. Again, we were going to be a priority. Um, and we didn't have any faith in that. Viv decided to take control of the situation. So we organised to have a GP-led clinic here on site. She got residents to sign consent forms and with the GP clinic's help, she started vaccinating. So when the government-run program eventually contacted her aged care home to offer vaccinations, someone on Viv's team told them they were two weeks too late. And that was about to become a huge problem. As we open up, as mobility increases, case numbers will increase. The best way we can protect ourselves and our family is to be vaccinated and get a booster shot. It's great, and it's, and it's great to see, and it's great to see. It's great to see life returning to our city. It's great to see life returning to our state. But please, it's all about instilling confidence and ensuring that everyone has a safe Christmas. Just as the New South Wales government did away with COVID restrictions, Omicron was spreading uncontrollably. Many residents in aged care either hadn't had their third dose or weren't eligible yet. Viv realised she was in trouble. Not all of her residents had got the consent forms for their booster shots in when she'd organised her first clinic. And when she tried to organise another clinic, she says she was told there were no vaccines available. We couldn't get any supplies, so we couldn't offer a clinic. And we were still waiting for the Commonwealth to ring us to offer a clinic for those that hadn't yet been vaccinated. Then the same bomb that landed on Mark's aged care homes landed on Viv's. 
So uh, I think it was a late Friday night, I got a call from my HR manager to say, Viv, I've just been informed of a staff member uh, that has COVID. Uh, they are working on the ward at these particular times and so therefore working while infectious. Viv sprang into action, enacting urgent COVID plans. She set about isolating groups of residents and also stopping interactions between different teams of staff. But the new variant was just too contagious. It was in aged care and, and in the workforce and there was no stopping it. It was too late. There's a familiar refrain among anyone working in the aged care sector that there's a chronic lack of adequately skilled staff. People have been saying this for years. It's hardly news. So to deal with this issue during a COVID crisis, when skilled staff would be needed more than ever, the federal government had promised a so-called surge workforce. But Viv says over the Christmas period when they needed it most, it just wasn't there. And so all those systems that the government says were available to aged care, again, fell foul. Uh, there wasn't a surge workforce, 140,000 shifts a, a week at going begging. Uh, people were furloughed. I had 70 staff furloughed. I had 16 staff that actually got COVID, but because of their family's close contacts, they had to be off, as well as the 14 residents that got COVID. Viv was desperate for workers and she started asking questions about why the government's promised surge workforce wasn't available. So the general public didn't really understand that we also knew there was uh, a surge workforce issue. We knew the government was talking up this surge workforce, but we did some local research. And for instance, in our region, there was 11 people in our whole region that would have been possibly available and there was no record of really what training or qualification or what experience they had. So we knew this surge workforce, I've been categorising it as somebody's wet dream. Nothing materialised. Someone had a great idea in bureaucracy and started naming it that and then there wasn't any. Despite two years of managing to dodge the worst of the virus, Mark Sewell's Warrigal homes were now in crisis too. An escalation in cases amongst staff and residents across our network meant that by the middle of January, we had 500 staff and residents infected with COVID and a very big crisis on our hands at um, 10 of our 11 aged care homes. And we were doing everything we could to deal with all the issues that we thought we had completely under control. The federal government's surge workforce didn't materialise for him either. Yeah, we needed urgent assistance. All the surge staffing arrangements that we put up ourselves, that the local health district worked with us on, that the Commonwealth um, told us was going to be available, just didn't materialise. And we uh, reached out and called out several times to all those three levels for assistance and got one nurse from a neighbouring hospital for one night. In the end, 27 people died in Mark's aged care homes. Of course, it's hard to say how many would have survived with the care and support of extra workers when they were most needed. But Mark says the fact that many aged care residents had not had their boosters when New South Wales lifted restrictions meant that people died who didn't have to. 
those kind of rates surely would be moderated by having the third dose comprehensively delivered to every person living in aged care. And uh, again, deferring the opening of the economy, keeping older people safe, making sure that every visitor had full PPE protection, testing every person with a plentiful supply of free PCR and rat tests, additional clinical staff, nursing staff particularly, and the third dose comprehensively offered to every staff member and every resident surely would have been a much stronger protective arrangement. They're all the things we know actually defend us against COVID. Of the 27 people who died with COVID at Mark Sewell's Warrigal Homes, only one had received their third vaccine dose. We assumed that if we had had more clinics and more people had had that third dose, there would have been less lives lost. Um, And I think that goes for the whole country. There are more than 1,500 aged care homes that have had COVID in them. The death rate is extraordinary. More than all the people who died in aged care during 2021 died in the first month of 2022. And that kind of death toll rate, those kind of rates surely would be moderated by having the third dose comprehensively delivered to every person living in aged care. The problems were being felt in Victoria too. Hello to everybody initially. Before COVID, Maria Loro was used to enjoying regular family visits at Booper Clayton, an aged care home southeast of Melbourne. This is a video the family recorded for relatives in Italy. What's no, no, is it Pier Giorgio? Is it Jack? She always calls him Giorgio. Rosie Clarkson is one of Maria's daughters. The facility was great. As far as in the early stages, they um, got them vaccinated really early on, like within a month of the vaccine hitting our shores. You know, the residents were vaccinated, which was brilliant. You know, mum was vaccinated six months before I was, and I had no issue with that at all. But those early vaccinations also meant that Maria's immunity was waning when Omicron started spreading in November. We were asked for our permission for her to receive the booster in, from memory, it was early October or around October. Rosie quickly signed the necessary forms for her mum to receive the booster, but weeks passed. And by December last year, she still hadn't received the extra shot. The facility were telling us that they couldn't get the vaccines. It was coming from head office and head office couldn't get them. So we have to take them for their word. And so I believe they were trying and and they didn't get the booster. Rosie was more than just frustrated at the delays. And she decided to take matters into her own hands. I was pretty angry. It was the Monday before Christmas and I rang my sister and I said, I'm just organising it myself. And so I um, got online and fluked an appointment um, in a nearby pharmacy that fit in with mum's meal times with her diabetes. So, as I said, I went and did it privately just to ensure that she was safeguarded from the actual virus. So thankfully she never got COVID. And I encouraged other people to go and get their booster as well. The facility was a put out when I said I'm just doing it myself and I got the look but you know in the end I did it and you know I felt a lot more at ease knowing that mum was covered. 
Maria was now protected from the virus itself, but Rosie was about to find out that the chaos around the virus was also a major threat. The virus was spreading quickly in the community and soon inside the home itself. 27 residents were infected and three of them died. 30% of the workforce also got COVID and others who were close contacts had to isolate. It spread so quickly, um, most of the staff in the facility came down with it and they couldn't get agency staff. So the residents weren't being cared for anywhere near as well as they should have been. They were not being checked. Some agency staff were brought in, but they were new to the place and unfamiliar with the residents. We were dealing with people we didn't know who also didn't know my mother. And so at one point my sister rang to complain about something that hadn't happened and one of the managers answered the phone and as my sister started complaining about whatever she was complaining about, the manager um, burst into tears and my sister backed off and said, look, I'm so sorry. And she said, no, you don't know how bad it is here. It's like a war zone. Rosie's experience wasn't an isolated one. Across New South Wales and Victoria, infections and the furloughing of staff meant aged care homes were pretty much drafting in anyone they could get hold of, usually workers unfamiliar with facilities and the people living in them. Rosie's mum is diabetic and she started to worry that amidst the chaos in the home, Maria's blood sugar levels weren't being properly checked. On the Thursday, the 28th of January, I actually went in to visit mum Um, And then that night, both of my sisters called her and she sounded terrible. So one of my sisters called the facility and said, "Um, Mum's not well, could you please make sure you check on her? The person who answered the phone was a new nurse and wasn't familiar with the facility, wasn't familiar with my mum, didn't know how erratic her blood sugar level is or can be. the next day I'd been at work 15 minutes when I received a phone call that they've called an ambulance for mum. So I left work and um, by the time I got to the facility, they had four paramedics there, two ambulances. And I thought, oh, this is a bit serious. Um, And they said to me, look, she's really sick and she had been unresponsive. Rosie's mum was taken to hospital. So I followed the ambulance to the hospital and the doctor straight away told me to call my sisters in. Medical staff checked Maria's blood sugar levels and they were dangerously high. The doctors were grim-faced when they delivered the news to Rosie. We sat down with the head of department who told us that um, mum was really sick and basically he wasn't expecting her to pull through. The doctors wanted to know what her mum's blood sugar reading had been overnight. But Rosie says that when Booper Clayton was asked, it couldn't say. Eventually they admitted that it hadn't been checked overnight um, and that mum was found at, I think it was at about 8 o'clock or 8.30 in the morning by the general manager who was doing his rounds and he went in and found mum unresponsive. When I asked Booper about this, in a statement it said that Rosie's mum was adequately monitored and attended to that night. But citing privacy reasons... It said it couldn't say whether her blood sugar levels were checked. Rosie's mum, Maria Laurel, never left the hospital. She died there two weeks later, aged 91. Maria didn't die with COVID, but Rosie blames the pandemic and its impact on aged care for her mother's death. 
what we're finding is people aren't dying of COVID, but people are dying as a result of COVID. So, you know, while they aren't dying of the virus itself, they're dying of the consequences of COVID, whether that be a lack of care, whether that be loneliness, they're dying as a consequence of COVID. Is it possible that she was just on the way out? Look, it is possible, but what tends to happen when your blood sugar level is so high, it actually causes organ failure. So mum certainly had problems. Um, There's no denying she had, you know, low kidney function, but it was still functioning fine. She had heart failure, but she was still functioning fine. Um, She had breast cancer, but it wasn't killing her yet. So she was still going along. I'm not a doctor. Would it have happened anyway? I don't know. But what is well documented is that really high blood sugar levels can cause organ failure. Back in New South Wales, at Mark Sewell's Warrigal group of aged care homes, the death rate was climbing fast. By January, it was double what it would normally be at that time of year. And not all of those people were dying from the virus itself. To see that number increase during January and the first two weeks of February on a weekly basis at double the normal rate just shows how significant and frightened people were, how significant this change to each person's living arrangements is. Mark says he's determined to investigate what happened. We expect to do inquiries and investigations with each family into why someone passed. Um, We don't want to distress people unnecessarily, but to have that increase needs to be thoroughly investigated by the Commonwealth Department of Health and each aged care organisation to understand fully what has happened at this time. Not only those who would normally pass away, not only those who passed away with COVID, as part of the normal stats for contracting this illness, but also others who passed away earlier than would normally have been expected. At the end of a hallway at Warrigal's home in Albion Park, south of Sydney, Burly young sailors in camouflage are goofily dancing with an aged care resident. It's mid-February and the ADF's been deployed to help out in one of Mark's nursing homes, three weeks after its Omicron peak. We've now had the ADF this week. They've now been there for three days this week and are making a significant difference. It's a little bit too late. It's actually very late. We would have really appreciated them a month ago or even two weeks ago. But to have them now is a great support as we close out the outbreak. Mark also tells me that it was a godsend when a team of five nurses from the government surge workforce eventually turned up. But they were a bit late too. Basically, he's mad this help took so long to arrive. And he says it didn't have to be this way. The aged care sector was calling for the ADF to be deployed before the latest COVID peak. But when the Prime Minister was asked about that in mid-January, he rejected their call. The suggestion that defence forces can go and and, and operate in aged care. No, that's not the case. The defence forces are not a shadow workforce for the entire economy or the health workforce. So 
This should have been announced a long time ago. In fact, it should have been part of the solution when the federal and state governments made their uh, policy decisions to open up the economy. It was pretty clear what was going to happen in aged care. The numbers were predicted, maybe not as high as they ended up being, but to have extra assistance would have been the missing ingredient that wasn't delivered at the time. The surge workforce is not there and the ADF would have been a very important ingredient. And it's too late now, but it's fantastic assistance, even though it's uh, after the event. For Rosie, whose mum Maria ended up in hospital and dying during the chaos of the Omicron wave, it's clear who's to blame. And it's not the agency staff or the staff in the home where her mum was living that she holds responsible. They needed help. There wasn't help. So, you know, it's a simple thing to say, oh, it's their responsibility, they've got to find staff. But there were no staff. So everybody had come down with it. And I do believe that the federal government should have done something. It comes under the federal government's umbrella. It comes under Richard Colbeck's portfolio. They're the ones that had to do something. And play underway in just a couple of minutes' time at Belreve Oval in Hobart for the very first time hosting an Ashes Test match. In mid-January, a Senate COVID committee started asking what was happening. But the aged care minister didn't appear. Instead, he was at the Ashes Test in Hobart, attending as part of his other responsibilities as sports minister. Warner is watching, waiting, looking to drive this. He miscues, it comes off the inside edge. When the committee sat again in mid-February, Richard Colbeck was asked to explain himself. Do you agree that it was a mistake to go to the cricket on the day that the COVID committee invited you to appear? Well, Senator, I think it's um, uh, it's pretty uh, roundly um, um, viewed as, as being a mistake. Uh, Senator, um, but, I, but I would like to put on the record that uh, at the time the COVID committee wanted to see me, I was actually working on dealing with the issues. Uh, I did go to the cricket that afternoon, that Friday afternoon. Under questioning, Senator Colbeck conceded that if more had been done to address staff shortages earlier, the impact of the Omicron wave could have been reduced. So what else could you have done to reduce the number of deaths during the Omicron wave? Well, Senator, I think um, uh, one of the the real difficulties for the sector uh, was uh, the, the issues around workforce that we suffered in early January. Uh, with um, the, 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 through the peak of, of Omicron. That was extremely difficult for the entire sector. Um, uh, if the, the changes that we made in early January to assist with that, had they been made a little bit earlier, might have helped a bit uh, because uh, the, the changing in furlough arrangements meant that the staff who work in facilities could have been back in there more quickly rather than having to rely on uh, a pretty scarce surge workforce. I requested an interview with Richard Colbeck, but he declined. In written answers to questions, though, he said that the booster program ended up being completed ahead of schedule, in part due to changing health advice that meant people were eligible to get their boosters quicker than before. Senator Colbeck said all aged care homes in Australia have now been offered booster clinics and 90% of eligible residents have been boosted. 
I also asked him about why the surge workforce wasn't available to aged care homes when they needed it most. But the response I got didn't answer that question directly. Instead, a spokesman just wrote that as of this month, almost 85,000 aged care work shifts had been filled by the surge workforce. Maria Loro's funeral was held on the 25th of February. Her daughter Rosie gave a eulogy. Mum's final years were spent in aged care. There were many occasions in recent years where Mum was rushed to hospital in a serious condition and she fought back each time. Her strength of will and spirit cannot be matched by many people. Mum lived for 91 years and we are proud and honoured to have had her in our lives. We will miss you, Mum. During the funeral service, Rosie's three sons each approached the altar with a memento, which reminded them of the presence of their grandmother in their lives. A basket of vegetables, a rolling pin, her playing cards, and her statue of St Anthony. With these mementos, we thank God for the life of Maria and the inspiration that she has been for her... In the weeks since her mum's death, Rosie says she's had time to reflect on what happened. And for her, the problem's clear. It was the chaos caused by COVID that killed her mum and not the virus itself. Rosie's family has filed an official complaint with the Aged Care Quality and Safety Commission. It's clearly in her notes she's got a history of problems with her blood sugar level. So you would check her blood sugar level. I think the fact that they were short-staffed is also to blame. Um, I think it's a combination of the two. And I can't completely blame the fact that they hadn't sent the army in early enough, even though there's a big element of negligence there as well. Um, I think it was a combination in this instance of both. Rosie believes that what happened to her mum is a symptom of a broader neglect in the aged care sector that we're yet to address. Despite a Royal Commission, the tragic death toll of COVID-19 and the chaos that went with it. The people in aged care are the people that have built our country. They made Australia into what it is. And now we're neglecting them and blatantly neglecting them. The whole thing is a mess and an absolute disgrace. Background Briefing sound producers are Lila Schunner and Ingrid Wagner. Sound engineering by Isabella Tropiano. Fact-checking by Ben Sveen. Our supervising producer is Alex Mann. The executive producer is Tim Roxburgh. And I'm Jeff Thompson. You can follow Background Briefing for free wherever you get your podcasts. Thanks for listening.
You've been listening to an ABC podcast. Discover more great ABC podcasts, live radio and exclusives on the ABC Listen app.